The trumpets were there, but nobody was listening. And God is sounding the trumpet. I believe even the Harbinger 2 is a trumpet, is a trumpet. That's what I believe I'm, I'm to do it for. I'm sounding the trumpet. Uh, but we haven't heeded it, but the trumpets are sounding and we have to take heed. We are in the last days. And this uh, moment in time in history gives us the recognition that God has all of the players in perfect position. This is Reconstructing Christianity. Join us as we encourage believers to reconstruct the heart of the Christian faith in this deconstructing world. All right, you better get ready and buy the Harbinger because, you know, it's coming. <laughs> it's down the pike, Tim. Yeah, yeah. What? How many books has he written now? Uh, he has written about three, Tim. Wow. And Jesus hasn't come in any yeah. of those. The, the world still hasn't ended, huh? The, the the world hasn't ended since the mosquito. But it is this time. Get in your bunkers, Kenny. Get in your bunker. <laughs> Amen, brother. That'll preach. Yeah. I don't know why people still believe this man. Oh, man. Why do people still take Hagee seriously? Well, you got to remember, the Four Blood Moons was popular, too. Yeah, like 30 years ago. Yeah, but some people in this room were really uh, convicted about it and were really scared. Well, I don't know how to break it to you, but um, I don't think the world is going to end tomorrow. Really? Yeah. You know, here's a question that we often don't think about. Mm -hmm. What if we're in the early church? Wow. Wow. Hmm. Most people really haven't thought about that. Yeah, we kind of just assume that the the last domino stops with us. But what if it doesn't? What if we still have 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 more years to go? Mm. Well, I mean, that's an interesting thought because it really puts into perspective everything that you're going to do today. Mm -hmm. um, I love church history. But I love church history and that the early church thought, you know, the world's gonna I mean, the world's gonna end with me. The and we have had that view probably for two thousand for two thousand years. Oh yeah, it's recurring all throughout human history. Everyone mm -hmm. thought the world that we're the culmination of everything. Our generation it's we're the culmination. Mm -hmm. What if we're not? I mean I mean if you if you look at everything in church history, you would see that and the things that people look to the, look to today for the end was actually things that happened before and that Yeah. Uh th things like Kendrick, the, the trumpets are sounding. I'm sorry, Tim, the trumpets are <laughs> the trump shall resound. Yeah, you should know this. Are you even a Christian? Yeah, I forgot it was a Trump the the Trump prophecy. Yeah. yeah. The second coming is already here. No, it's no, it's not. Nah, Tim. I'll repent of that one later. But. Yeah. <laughs> um. So today in this episode, guys, we are we are thinking long term. We want to think with a with Christ might not return by the end of our lives. Yeah. Why? Here's a question. Why do we always think in the short term? 
Why do we think the domino stops with us? Because, well, first of all, we think we're special. Yeah. We think that we think that we're special players. However, if you think in the um, if you think long term, you realize, oh, I'm not, I'm not the the special person, and laying flowers. This is for you. Oh boy, oh boy, we're getting some fire. Uh, Calvinism does not make you. I mean, Calvinism. Most Calvinists don't think that they're special at all. Oh no! And that if you think of predestination, you think, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a pawn in God's game. I'm not even a rook. Mm-hmm. Um, that God has other, that God has other people that He plans to use throughout history. Yeah, I would like to know. What, this is off topic, <laughs> but I would like to know which Calvinist is out there saying God picked me because I'm better than everyone else. Is anyone really saying that? No, except for Layton Flowers. But well, yeah. He's the choice meets after all. <laughs> but oh boy, we're not that special if we look at it from a macro point of view. And this is where post-millennialism has an edge over all the other systems. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, we're thinking long term. We're not just thinking, we're not just thinking of jam. And I know I say this a lot, but this the, cur- but this is the current objection that we have. That we're just not looking to jam pack the government right now. Yeah. And we're not playing the liberal game of jam packing the government with the with the judicial system. Honestly, they're burning they're I mean, they're gonna be they're with the way they're doing this, they're gonna be overcome shortly. Yeah. What's unfortunate is I think when you adopt an eschatology that allows for defeat in your lifetime you're not really going to invest as much in the generations to come and we're often confused about why parents are neglecting their kids just squandering their money instead of investing in in their kids and future generations well yeah that's because we're not thinking long term we're not thinking intergenerationally we're just thinking oh well, the the world's probably going to end in 20 years, so, you know, sucks for my kids. Yeah, um, we're going to go on to the mission field, and I know I said this before, but it's it's one of the problems with uh, dispensational pre-mill thought, is that, okay, I'm going to go into the world, disciple everyone, not leave anything for my kids, just use all my money right now, mm-hmm. and then... 10 years down the road you have children and they're living on bread and water and it's all because you thought Jesus was coming yeah yeah and look we're, we're not trying to just uh boogeyman dispensationals I mean we're, they're still brothers in Christ they're strong believers and all that stuff we're just simply trying to point out that these views do have practical realities that flow out of them yeah um if you're post mill you're going to think long term. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're sort of positive uh, mill, mm-hmm. you're going to think you're going to think long term, but not like a post mill. Yeah. So, Tim, what are some scriptural? Um, what are some scriptures that would back this up? What What is the flow of scripture that you would say that would back this up? Yeah. So, as post mills, we we try to think big picture. Okay. 
a lot of eschatologies just kind of get lost in the weeds trying to piece this and this together and work out your eschatological scheme that way but as post mills we try to look big picture and then when you do that all the little things kind of fall into place so we're not just looking for the antichrist coming exactly uh, yeah the bear represents russia yeah we're not distracted trying to figure all that stuff out mostly because we believe a lot of that already happened but where is america in revelation yeah exactly no but so if you think big picture we touched on this last time psalm 110 okay um, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. Mm-hmm. What does that word until imply? Well, until implies that's not right now. Mm-hmm. That's happening, that it's going to be happening over time. Progressively, right? Progressively. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there is a set date, but it's not right now. Yeah, yeah. Sit in my right hand until your enemies are made a footstool. Obviously, we still got a lot of enemies out there, and it's been 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. So if that's any indication about how long these things will take, we could very much be in the early church. I mean, Hinduism has been around for 2,000 years now, mm-hmm. uh, probably more. Um, Buddhism, 2,000 years. Uh, Muslim, Ayn Islam, 1,400 years. Oh, yeah. Um, we still got a lot of time to go, and honestly, all these false religions haven't been placed under his feet. Yeah, yeah, well, and I think the most glaring one today is just secularist atheism, materialism. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the one I think our generation is going to have to, our generation and the next few generations to come after us are going to have to put to death. Mm-hmm. But it's important for us to leave an inheritance either an intellectual or an educational one mm-hmm. so that our kids or monetary i'm not opposed to monetary inheritance oh, me neither uh i'm not saying i would never say that money is bad mm-hmm. i think that uh your attitude towards money is bad but you need to leave something for your children to fight this battle mm-hmm. and it may very well be money may very well only be education but you need to look forward to your to your children's children so tim Go ahead and go ahead and ex- go ahead and preach for us, brother. <laughs> okay. Um, well, okay. So here's the most I think clear passage that points out that these things are progressive. They don't just happen immediately. They happen over a period of time. Uh, Matthew 13. Um, if you go to verse 31, you have the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Okay. Verse 31. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than a garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened mm-hmm. so these things tend to imply that someone is going to plant a mustard seed and then over a period of time that's going to fully grow into the kingdom where you have even birds nesting mm-hmm. in that tree from that little little leaven seed mm-hmm. 
that little mustard seed. Yeah, sorry, mustard seed. Mix my mix my parables. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think oftentimes when we think of the end times or whatever you want to call it, that we think the kingdom of heaven is like a tree. And over time, it's going to be destroyed to the point where it's a little mustard seed. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at you, Johnny Mac. Yeah. It's completely backwards. The, the thing is, the kingdom of heaven, if you read Matthew thirteen thirty one, seems like it would grow over time. Yeah. And would this mustard seed that becomes a tree would have would be so high and so vast that it would have birds nesting on it yeah yeah it it implies it's much bigger than what it is so let's ask this what's the mustard seed well i can tell you i i can tell you what it's not first Mm -hmm. it's not doctrine it's not the doctrine of the mustard seed Mm -hmm. that the catholics presume where you know you just have this wild branch and then there's Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. no it's the church Jesus directly calls it the church, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. Oh, gasp, church, yeah. kingdom of God. Yeah, there. oh, no. So um, it's this church that grows that grows into the world. It's sown into the world, grows and grows and grows and grows. But the problem is, is that we don't know where we are on the branches. Mm-hmm. We don't know if we're on the top or in the bottom. Yeah, and here's what's interesting is we measure our progression based on how, you know, the the secular culture is going, which obviously secular cultures are just going to go downhill. But our measurement is never the growth of the church, which seems like how scripture would measure it. Mm-hmm. And if you actually look at history, well, the church has grown quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an objection I've heard is, well, how do you know all those people are Christians? Hmm. Well, you can make that argument throughout all of history, even in the early church. How do you know all of them were Christians? I mean, you have the apostles warning that some people are going to leave because they were never of us. Tim, you see, that's you're you're making things too complicated. (laughs) We just need to burn it all down. You know, trail of blood. There was always these secret Baptists, and then um, somehow... uh, and somehow Jerome is thrown in there. and in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. No, but look, if secular cultures are all going to tank and destroy themselves and the church is going to continually grow, well, I expect society to get better because of that. Mm-hmm. We, we don't think about how often the, the culture is just killing itself. And if Christians are being faithful and growing households, having babies, raising disciples, we're going to outnumber them eventually. They're they're trying to kill themselves. They're cutting off their genitals. They're killing their babies. We're going to outnumber them. Mm-hmm. The Christians really in our culture today are the only ones having babies. Yeah, and I think that if you only have like probably three children per Christian household, mm-hmm. you would easily outnumber them. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. It, it's it's going to take a while, but in the long run, we're going to win. Oh, yeah. Christ is not going to allow his bride to be defeated. Mm-hmm. What an insane thing to believe, that the bride of Christ 
is going to be trampled on. Like Christ would allow that. What kind of husband would allow his bride to get trampled on? John Piper. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, if y'all don't know the quote he's talking about, it's a, it's a doozy. Yeah, um, you know, Jesus, I mean, if you look at it as a John Piper husband, if you look at Jesus as a John Piper husband, yeah, I mean... A.K.A. A, a passive husband who doesn't protect his wife. Yeah. Uh, then, well, I mean, that's sort of all millennialism. Yeah. We, we don't have... It's like a John John Piper's like, oh, this guy's breaking in my home to beat up with my wife. Well, he doesn't, I hope this guy beating up my wife really hopes to grow her character in Christ. Yeah, you know, this persecution of my wife yeah. would really help her in the end. Yeah, so I'm just... I'm, I'm actually helping my wife by allowing this guy to beat the ever-living crap out of her. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> that's not it. Oh. So, we could... So, our thought process is, how can we look at things in the long run? Jesus is protecting us. Mm-hmm. Jesus is actively working all things for his church... We see that in Revelation whenever he orders um whenever these um whenever he orders things so that the church will grow, the destruction of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the destruction of Nero. Mm-hmm. Um and we see these things. So Christ is not a passive husband. He's going to protect his bride. He's actively protecting his bride. Read the scriptures and tell me where Christ is not protecting his children. Give me one place. Nowhere. So, um, so that's gonna that's gonna affect how we think. Yeah, and here's another passage. Um, Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, that means that the uh, that means that all the church has been obliterated, and now- yeah, yeah, yeah. The gates of hell it won't prevail, but also it's gonna win, and the church will be defeated. Yeah. Oh, it's almost like you don't believe that passage. (laughs) And also just for the record, are gates meant to be defensive or offensive? Gates are meant to be defensive, of course. Yeah. So if the gates of hell will not prevail, well, gates don't move around. That means the church will be going to the gates of hell and we will defeat it in the long run. Oh, yeah. We will storm the gates of hell. Mm-hmm. We are a new covenant army, and we are attacking the culture. Um, we are attacking this world. We have Our weapons are not of this world. Our weapons are more superior. We have the word of God, which cuts through, um, which cuts through the visible and invisible parts of men. And yes, it's just not spiritual. It's... It's the physical and the spiritual. If you believe that the spiritual affects the physical, I should not have to bring that up. But. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, this this really shows the difference in how people, how the different eschatologies change your worldview. You have one that believes the gates of hell move around and destroy the church. And then you have one that says the church is going to the gates of hell and destroying hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's different implications for your view. Mm-hmm. It's 
pretty hard to get around, to be honest. And one way that we can destroy the gates of hell is to have children mm-hmm. breed warriors to destroy it. I mean, we're not going to... I mean, we're not going to... If, if we really want to destroy the culture, we're going to make more warriors to storm those gates. I mean, we can literally produce warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, why not make more disciples? I touched yeah. on this last episode that why not make more disciples? It's easier to disciple your kids than to, deci- than to disciple um, fully grown adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, I forget what psalm it is, or maybe it's a proverb. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Yeah. Look, yeah, children are arrows. You can use them and send them flying to attack the the false ideologies in the culture. Mm -hmm. But now we have them, uh, now we're giving the government our arrows. Yeah, we're like, government, take my children and use them as an arrow against me, please. Use my shotgun against me. (laughs) So... We want to think long term in this episode, and one of the ways we could think long term is by, well, first of all, like we said before, having good kids. Mm-hmm. The other one is discipling your nation, discipling your county, your your little your city. Um, now, Tim, you have some interesting thoughts on this, and I really want to, I really want to flush them out. Oh, well, thank you. I do have interesting thoughts every once in a while. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts, especially on the household and what it's for. And I think we've just completely lost sight of that. So here's how to think long term. Okay. We we live in kind of boomer world where you you raise your kids and then at 18, 19, 20, you send them out of the house and they're on their own. And at that point, if you give them any money, that's handouts and you're enabling and all this stuff. Which, okay, we can nuance this, but I won't, just for sake of clarity. Well, actually, the way the household is supposed to function is there's almost a passing of the torch. So, as fathers... Are you passing the torch onto your kids and setting them up for success? Or at 18, 19, 20, are you cutting them off and basically shooting yourself in the foot as far as discipleship and, you know, setting your your family line up for success? Well, oftentimes today, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're not passing the torch on. Um, and it, it's seen as a bad thing, really. To try to pass that torch on. What? You're thinking about your kids? How dare you? Yeah. You're not thinking about your career right now? Yeah. So the King's Hall podcast, shout out those guys. They have a great three-part episode called Covenant Succession. I would encourage you to go listen to that. But they argue um, that your number one means of growth is passing on the torch. Um, and things like leaving an inheritance, money, I'm talking money. They argue for leaving a monetary inheritance. And there's actually scripture that addresses this. Whoa. <laughs> um, 
But we don't think about that anymore because in Boomer World, that's seen as enablement. Yeah, I mean, in Boomer World, you're you're supposed to uh, <laughs> you're supposed to uh, what do you do? Grow your career. Yeah. You um, you think about growing your house right now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, but you don't don't worry about your kids. What you're working towards is actually retirement. Yeah. You're working for your retirement. Your kids are your retirement. Mm-hmm. Your kids live to serve you. Yeah. And uh, it's all about numero uno. Yep. Uh, and then, let's see, around the 50s, you kind of get a little uh, midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. You go buy a Harley uh, to show that you're a closeted share fan. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> and then uh, you think about how your life is ending and that you're and that you got to do stuff now you got to do things for yourself now you got to think it's basically like you took therapy and that you're just thinking about oh it's good for numero oh i love myself so much that i have to buy myself these things now yeah there's there's really no vision other than i'm working to retire and if that's as far as your vision goes you failed Mm -hmm. you failed as a man I got to retire rightly. Yeah. No, no, that should not be our vision at all. Our vision should be, what am I doing to grow the kingdom of God, firstly with my household? Am I working towards retirement, or am I working to push my kids towards success, to cause them to have children, and they will push their children to have success, are we pushing them to carry on this this mission of growing the kingdom of God, or are we encouraging them to do the same thing we've done, which is absolute short-sighted nonsense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we teach our kids to go onto the world to make a name for yourself, mm-hmm. to do things for yourself. Kids are for you, your personal enjoyment. Look how cute they are. I mean, don't you mm-hmm. want to tickle them? Mm-hmm. And you don't think, oh, I should, get, I need to buy a house for my kids. I really, you know, I need to buy some a physical property. I need to, I need to lease something for my kids. No, that's completely absent in the culture today. In fact, there's only one group of people that I think had this mentality, and that's really Hispanics. But it's really, it's quickly dying out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing that Kings Hall guys argue for is not leaving an inheritance for your kids but leaving an inheritance for your grandkids gasp so it's almost like the scripture yeah it's mm. the idea is yes you're leaving an inheritance for your kid obviously but you're raising them well enough to where they're not going to squander that and they're going to leave an inheritance for their kids and your inheritance that you left like a seed is going to grow amongst the future generations. Whoa, really? Yeah, I know. It's almost like you're not looking out for numero uno, yeah, but you're know, looking exactly. out for other people. And we don't... That's the issue. We don't have a household vision anymore. We don't have a vision that our households can even be successful. And here's another thought, okay? In our own lives being sanctified, we, we see these sins, we identify them, and Christ through the Spirit, helps us put those things to death. And over time, we're, we're sanctified more into the image of Christ. We become better over time. We don't think that way generationally, though. We think, 
over time, actually, the kids and our generations are just going to get worse and worse because the culture we're in is worse and it's just going to have this effect on them. And over time, it's just going to be less pure mm-hmm. or more sinful over time. What if the idea we should have is that I hope my children are actually better than me over time? I hope that, yeah, I have sin in my life and, you know, my parents have sin in their lives and their parents had sin in their lives. And what if our goal is not to look down on our parents or disrespect them in any way, but see those intergenerational sins and put them to death so that way they don't carry on through the through the line. Yeah, um, it's very interesting, though. I've, I've always had that thought in my head. And I think most Dispies, some, well, most Orthodox Dispies do. Mm-hmm. And they think, oh, we, I need to get better and my kids will get better. But what does that lead to? Yeah. Um, let's see. I think I remember seeing some, hearing something on Wretched that said, um, I remember hearing something on Wretched that said that Jonathan Edwards and this criminal's kids were compared and so john john uh, jonathan edwards kids grew up to be um what was it army army leaders uh presidents uh presidents of colleges mm-hmm. and this criminal's uh, kids grew up to be hook grew up to be prostitutes mm-hmm. uh, thieves everything everything bad under the sun so if we think that we're gonna have if we think that our parents left a general that our parents did not get better and that left this general uh just intergenerational curse on us um what's the what's the inverse of that well if our parents were christians and got better that means we're going to get better and that that means we're going to and that our kids are going to get better if we break those generational curses yeah but this is even in the church, this has been flipped because we have we're so over psycho, psychologized. Mm-hmm. So we we think like, oh, my father was an alcoholic, so that must mean I'm also an alcoholic, and that means my children will be alcoholics. So that means we can never ever be sanctified or grow in this area and drink alcohol. Yeah. I feel like you're looking at someone too. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, that's just the most glaring example that I've heard, honestly, mm-hmm. um, all the time. And that's people just think that way. They think my father was an alcoholic, so I don't want to fall into that. So I can never, ever touch alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've had that view too, and I still have trouble drink. I still have trouble with the thought of drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert. Uh, I do not drink alcohol. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. Yes, you're getting a sneak preview <laughs> into the life of Kendrick Nicholson. Wow, we're getting deep here today on reconstructing Christianity. Yeah, I did not want. I do not want to drink alcohol because of my dad. Um, and honestly, I should be okay with drinking alcohol because I because I'll be conformed more into the Spirit and that I can rely more on Jesus. But also that I know that I won't over abuse alcohol. But well, and, and it's less about yourself, I think. It's more 
are you going to pass on to your kids how to have a healthy view of alcohol or an unhealthy one? Man, this is turning into a counseling session. Yeah, there session, we go. Like, there we go. On so, the spot. So I want my kids to have a healthy view of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not just going to teach them don't drink it, but I'm also going to teach them to do it in in moderation. Yeah. Yeah. So we have so we think so today be faithful for be faithful not only for yourself but also for your later generations. Yeah, it's it's not about you. It's not. You're not David. No. It's not about you. It's about setting up your kids for success. It's about loving the generations that will come after you. It's about thinking long-term and not just your own life and when you're going to retire or when you're going to get raptured. No. Think in the long-term. That's where the success is. That's where success lies. It's not immediately winning tomorrow the culture war. No. It's going to take a long time. And that's how, honestly, that's how the liberals have won is they thought long-term. They crept in the institutions, and like a cancer, it grew over time. They used our kids against us. Yeah. Um, you, I, I don't remember who said this, but uh, they said basically the left is almost post-mill in their eschatology. They thought long-term. The, the left is post-mill in their eschatology. They mm-hmm. think they're going to win at the end. Yeah. They think, I mean, well, Marx said that he thought that everyone would be socialists and communists at the end well he had a very post-mill thought Mm -hmm. thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course it's wrong it's not based it's it's derived of this world not for not from christ but he had a very true thought Mm -hmm. he he had a very true thought that one thing is gonna win at the end Mm -hmm. he was wrong about what it was yeah he was more faithful at catechizing was it the church or was it Marx? I mean, you're not allowed to have a Bible in the school today, mm-hmm. but you're allowed to have the uh, Communist Manifesto. Yeah, we. the culture has been much more successful at catechizing the church than the church has been to catechize the culture. Mm-hmm. That's why we lost. Mm-hmm. We didn't think long-term. We became hyper-individualistic, and because of that, we lost sight of what our goal was. Mm-hmm. So our goal is not to jam-pack the Supreme Court. Our goal is much more is much more earthy than that. It's to go into our communities, grow grow up disciples, grow disciples, but also to grow disciples in your community. Tim, I liked what you I liked what you said about growing in um, small cities, you know, uh, discipling these small cities. Um, We have a lot of cities in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that very few of them are actually big cities. That there are small counties that we could turn Christian and that we can... But I want you to flush that out a little more. Yeah, um... So, 
I guess to summarize what I believe before I really get into it is I think the future of Christianity lies in small cities. I don't think it, I'm the opposite of Tim Keller. I don't believe long-term that Christianity lies in New York or Dallas, Texas or Los Angeles or whatever big city you think of. Because here's what we're arguing for. Let's get practical. We want men to go in their community and to disciple the hell out of it. We want them to go out and to make that little city Christian. Now, that's much easier in a small town than it is trying to convert all of New York. What's what's an easier battle to win? Well, obviously, it would be discipling the small town. It's like eating a small piece of cake versus a large piece of cake. Mm-hmm. You're going to be easier and less um, and use less energy just eating a small piece of cake. Yeah, and what's funny is these big ta- these big cities over time they tend to just kind of implode on themselves. So, I, I think it's just more winnable ground mm-hmm. in small cities, and I think over time if you really are faithful and you create churches and families and households that are faithful in that little town, that town's going to end up growing and it'll be firmly, staunchly Christian while all these non-Christian cities implode. And then that small town becomes the gold standard. Mm -hmm. It becomes the... But not even just that town. I think Christians should go out into a bunch of small towns Mm -hmm. so that way... We have a lot of one ground whenever all these cities implode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if we get a good city that's just right, mm-hmm. that's, that is firmly Christian, and you see how good the city is because it's Christian. Mm-hmm. Christian means good. Secular does not mean yes. good. Yeah. I should not have to say that. Well, unfortunately you do because today we think you know having godly laws is just about the worst thing that could happen to mankind. But actually it's just loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. We're we're going to get into that later. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's coming soon, guys. <laughs> it, it, it's it's in the it's in it's in the tube. <laughs> well, Kendrick, are there any um closing or practical advice? you want to give our guys so they can have marching orders when they're out in the battlefield yeah first of all i said this before but i i feel like i need to say it every time christ is actively protecting you in this Mm -hmm. he's protecting you through his spirit he is guarding you he will not let you go and we and we need that protection to keep us in the to keep us away from this world. Secondly, Christ is, Christ is actively is actively shaping the world through this his, through historical things. COVID was not out of the reach of Christ. It wasn't. Christ allowed it. I know that it might sound scary that uh, some some soy boys will go after <laughs> will go after me for that, but mm. honestly, Christ allowed COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shouldn't. That shouldn't be surprising. It is because we're we're so feminized today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Christ even used COVID, dare I say. Yeah. I mean, people are brought to theonomy and post-mill- and post-millennialism through COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that yeah. we, we heard people's testimony. And it wasn't about COVID, really. It was about all the other things that went down during COVID. It was about all the stupid crap that went down. Yeah, it got exposed. Mm-hmm. And so, one last thing that I want to say is that, honestly, men just work. I mean, just work for that. I mean, we have this idea that I believe that Christ is our rest. He is our sabbatical rest. But we are resting, and yet we are fighting for this, for our America. For America used to be a Christian nation. I don't have to apologize for that. I shouldn't have to apologize for that. We need to fight for this nation. If we want our kids to be free, we have to fight. We want our kids to be happy. We, I mean, this should not all be a shocker. So, anyways, I'm I'm sorry. I just no, I, that's good. I, I I don't think that a lot of these shock these things that shock people shouldn't be shocking. No, of course it's basic. We're talking the basics here. We're saying disciple your kids, be faithful at your job, share the gospel, make disciples. That's the basics of Christianity. And by the way, I want to say this. If you want the secular nation to go on, you hate your kids. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You hate you hate people. You are not loving your kids. And you are actively defying Christ. Mm-hmm. Anyways, go ahead, Tim. <laughs> All right. Well, I think our point is clear, so let's close this out. So I want to ask you, what are you doing with your are they going in your circle and are firing them? Or are you handing them the season to fire back at you? Have you been thinking? Is the state running your kids or are you? Are your kids enabled to go out in battle or have you shot them in It's not too late. These things have gone on in the country for too long. Take up arms. Raise your kids. Repent. 